The following presentation is brought to you by the Realm Network. Buzz Burbank, news and comment. February 9th, 2017. Thank you very much for listening and for doing your Valentine's Day shopping and more through my Amazon links at buzzburbank.com. There will be days in the not-too-distant future, we hope, that we'll go back to covering so much more kinds of news than just about the man who's president. But for now, Trump's tennis ball machine continues to fire a lot of things at us, and here we endeavor to catch and examine those tennis balls once each week. We begin with the ban. President Obama figuratively shot himself in the foot one time when he was being heckled about his deportation policy. To quiet the heckler, Obama fired back, I just took an action to change the law. That off-the-cuff comment led to what's been called the biggest legal defeat of the Obama administration. Presidents don't change laws. That would be unconstitutional. Changing laws is what Congress does, and sometimes the courts. Obama's words were used against him later in a court of law, and his policy was struck down as unconstitutional because of its intent, which is, as he said, to make law. This week, the words of the new guy were used against him in the court battle over his travel ban from seven mostly Muslim countries. In the campaign, Trump loudly and repeatedly called for a ban on Muslims entering the country and then asked then-advisor Rudy Giuliani to report back on how to do that legally. And those words and deeds during the campaign gave the state of Washington and others suing the government over the ban all the motive they needed to show an appeals court in San Francisco. Hundreds of thousands of Americans, perhaps millions, huddled around phones and TVs and computers and radios to hear a Department of Justice lawyer try to defend Trump's ban against the charges of Washington State's top lawyer. As the three judges on that appeals court pondered their ruling, Trump taunted them, saying even a bad high school student would rule in his favor. Trump even criticized his own Justice Department lawyer for, like his counterpart, quote, talked about things that had nothing to do with it. That didn't set well with the man Trump has chosen as his Supreme Court nominee. Neil Gorsuch says these attacks on the judiciary are demoralizing and disheartening. Trump later tweeted implication the source of that quote is a liar, but a spokesman for Gorsuch says no, he said it. Meanwhile, the Trump administration is expected to appeal again, pushing this case all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. But for now, the ban, Muslim or otherwise, is still on hold. At last check, 97 companies based in the U.S. had joined the lawsuit against the ban, among them Apple, Amazon, Expedia, Facebook, Intel, Microsoft, and jeans maker Levi Strauss, which was founded by immigrants. All of these companies rely on workers and consultants from other countries, and many of their own workers are immigrants. It was part of the state's argument against the ban that it does harm to companies. Having this many companies, this many big companies, sign on to that lawsuit backed up the state's argument in a very impressive way. It also helped to have weigh-ins from all former secretaries of state and the secretaries of state from 16 states across the country. And a four-year-old girl who urgently needed heart surgery in the U.S. because her chances of surviving surgery in Iran were only 20 to 30 percent, while in the U.S. it was 97 percent. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, who argued on behalf of the little girl, called it bizarre and repugnant that a federal ban would endanger the life of a toddler. That little girl has now been granted a waiver and got the surgery. Slow down. You move too fast. 
At this time, eight years ago, Americans of all political stripes were asked how Obama was doing after three weeks in office. 60% of us said he was handling things just fine. Just right was the wording of the question. Only 22% of us thought Obama was moving too fast. Too many executive orders, they said. Too much change too fast. Now, in 2017, the Gallup poll asked that question again and got a shockingly different answer. Instead of 22% saying things were moving too fast, now 60% say the new president is doing too much too quickly, nearly three times what it was eight years ago. That 60%, they think Trump's moving too fast on health care, what with no replacement on the table, and too fast on immigration as the attempted enforcement of his travel ban virtually crashed after takeoff. And although nearly 40% of us are jacked about Trump's executive orders, 55%, a clear majority, do not approve. Only 38% of Americans support that $14 billion wall. Perhaps especially now they've heard they'll be paying for it until Mexico reimburses us. And only 42% support the Muslim ban, again leaving a solid majority against it. And then there are Trump's own ratings. Gallup gives him a 52% disapproval rating, the earliest a U.S. president has ever reached that mark in recorded history. Trump is now the least popular new president in recorded history. He must hate hearing that. Shortly after these results were announced, Trump tweeted, and I quote, Any negative polls are fake news, just like CNN, ABC, NBC polls in the election. In other words, Trump told 24 million Twitter followers to ignore and mistrust scientific polls, adding that, as those followers believe, the polls got it wrong on the election. For the record, the polls were not wrong. The polls predicted Hillary Clinton would win the popular vote by a narrow margin, and she did. Also, for the record, polling public opinion is a science involving people from across the country of every race, religion, nationality, and gender broken down by age categories. It involves having the right-sized sample of the American populace with the right numbers in each category and asking the right questions, just to explain it in a nutshell. It is not a perfect science, but it is science and math. And the Gallup poll has been around since 1935, so it's had some experience in the field, now with 2,000 employees in 30 offices in 20 countries around the world. Gallup accepts no outside money from political parties or special interest groups. But Trump has now reinforced the false belief of millions and millions of Americans on Twitter. Trump himself cited polls that pointed in his favor during the campaign. He called the polls that leaned against him rigged. And although Trump's remarks, tweeted or otherwise, can distract us from the actions of his administration, they bear reporting because they underscore a series of inaccuracies and falsehoods from the new White House. This week, Trump accused the very, very dishonest press, as he calls it, of intentionally not reporting on terror incidents anymore, especially attacks in Europe. Reporters asked the White House to list the ones they'd missed, and the White House shot out a report covering the past two years. There were 78 incidents on that list, and CBS News responded that it had covered 75% of them, that the ones it hadn't covered were often failed attempts in which no one got hurt. The White House list, which is riddled with spelling errors, shows most of these obscure attacks were overseas, but that only half were in Europe, contrary to the president's remarks. This alternative facts research by the White House and the media went on just as we were learning just how much of a failure was that raid on Yemen. To say the first military operation of the Trump administration went badly is an understatement. 
One of our Navy SEALs was killed in what we were told was an intelligence raid inside Yemen. Three other soldiers were wounded in an unexpected exchange of heavy gunfire. Thirty civilians were killed as well, including several children. And when the Pentagon, under the new administration, released videos it said it had captured in that raid to prove some good had come of it, reporters discovered the videos had already been in U.S. possession for 10 years and did not come from that raid. And unlike Obama's raid that captured and killed Osama bin Laden, supervised from the White House Situation Room, Trump okayed this raid from a dinner table where he was dining with advisor Steve Bannon and his son-in-law, Jared Kushner. And then we learned that the real target of the raid wasn't intelligence at all. It was Qasim al-Rimi, the leader of al-Qaeda in Yemen and the world's third most wanted terrorist. And he got away. Al-Rimi may have been tipped off, which would also explain that unexpected deadly firefight. Al-Rimi has since produced a recording proving he's alive, and he used that opportunity to taunt the new U.S. president, calling him the fool of the White House, who got slapped in those first few weeks. On top of all that, we've lost the cooperation of Yemen in the war on terror, that country now telling the U.S. to stay outside its borders. Yemen has withdrawn its permission for U.S. special ops to conduct ground missions there after it lost 30 civilians, including several children. We've lost Yemen. Al-Rimi is still out there. A seal and a child are dead. Others are wounded. And although the White House is still defending the raid as a success, even the captured intelligence appears to be old news. When it was clear from the intelligence at 17 security agencies that Russia had actively interfered with a U.S. election, President Obama issued new additional sanctions on Russia, on top of the ones already enacted to punish Russia for taking over part of Ukraine. The new sanctions, punishment for meddling in the election, banned the sale of American cybersecurity to Russia's FSB, formerly known as the KGB, which was run by none other than Vladimir Putin. But now the U.S. Treasury, under Trump, says American companies can sell as much cybersecurity to the Russian spy agency as they want. Those sanctions have now been lifted by the candidate our spy agencies say Russia worked to help in that election. White House spokesman Sean Spicer called it a common practice for the Treasury Department, quoting him, to go back and look at where there needs to be specific carve-outs for different industries or products or services that need to be going back and forth. The administration and at least one financial expert say the move was made to correct unintended consequences in those cyber sanctions. Spicer and Trump say sanctions on Russia are not being eased, although Democrats say this is hardly any time to help Russia with anything cyber. Senators, Republicans and Democrats are concerned. Senators from both parties have introduced a bill that would give Congress the power to say no to any Trump moves that would ease sanctions on Russia. Getting friendlier with Russia isn't on the congressional agenda. What is now on their agenda checks and balances on a president whose agenda includes getting friendlier with Russia. The last we heard, the FBI was investigating possible connections between Russia and members of the Trump campaign, some of whom now serve in the White House. FBI Director James Comey won't talk about the investigation, but there is some public knowledge the FBI cannot ignore. Retired U.S. Army General Mike Flynn is now Trump's national security advisor. But between his retirement nearly three years ago and now, Flynn accepted money from Russia to speak at an event honoring the Russian propaganda news outlet known as RT. There are pictures of him dining with Vladimir Putin, and Flynn has confirmed he was paid for that speech. 
White House spokesman Sean Spicer was quick to point out it's common practice for retired generals to give speeches for money. That does not apply, however, to foreign governments. The law says retired generals are subject to recall to duty and therefore must continue to abide by the rules that apply to active generals. That has Democrats pointing to the emoluments clause of the Constitution, which says no public official can accept money from a foreign government. And that's why Democrats want an investigation into whether Flynn got permission from anybody to give that speech or whether he just went and did it. Meanwhile, in his role as Trump's national security advisor, Flynn is filtering the president's daily intelligence briefings. The intelligence community submits its report and Flynn customizes it for the boss. And now it's reported that high-ranking national security officials, that would include Flynn and political strategist Steve Bannon, are asking for information about, quote, Polish incursion into Belarus. Belarus is a country that shares a border with Russia. It used to be part of the Soviet Union. There is no evidence that Poland, a NATO country, is planning to invade Belarus in any way. What Trump's top advisors now want investigated has only been mentioned once before in only one other place. In RT, the Russian government's propaganda-slash-news outlet, which provided dinner and a check to National Security Advisor Mike Flynn, who the White House says keeps in touch with Russia's ambassador. Trump strategist Steve Bannon, meanwhile, got his seat on the National Security Council, apparently without Trump's knowledge at the time. The new president apparently signed that order without reading it carefully, but the White House says he did miss that. In his pre-Super Bowl interview with Fox News Channel's Bill O'Reilly, Trump made jaws drop again when he repeated his respect for Vladimir Putin and implied the U.S. has committed as many grievous sins as Russia. Trump cited Iraq as a prime example, disregarding Putin's numerous assassinations of those who opposed him, including journalists. Even Senate Republican Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said he failed to see the equivalency. Take a look at what we've done, too, said Trump, adding, you think our country's so innocent? We've got a lot of killers. The Russian government has since demanded an apology from Fox News for calling Putin a killer in that interview. O'Reilly says there will be no apology. Alabama Senator Jeff Sessions has been approved by the Senate as our next attorney general, as the next head of the Justice Department, the next protector of everyone's civil rights, the people's lawyer. Jeff Sessions was not approved for even a federal judgeship in 1986 because, as the late Senator Ted Kennedy said then, he is a disgrace and should withdraw his nomination. A Senate committee rejected him back then because they'd heard testimony that he'd referred to the NAACP as communist-inspired and un-American, accusing it of being against traditional American values. The Senate heard testimony from an African-American former federal prosecutor who says Sessions called him boy. And they heard Sessions once said he thought the Ku Klux Klan was just fine, quote, until I found out they smoked pot, something he later claimed was a joke. So Senator Kennedy and others at the time spoke out and kept Sessions out of the federal judicial system. But in the years since, Sessions has served as a senator, and critics say his civil rights record, including his record on women's rights, isn't any better. And then he was up for debate again. As Democrats kept Republicans up for a second straight night with another talkathon, it was Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren's turn to speak. Warren quoted Kennedy's disgrace and should withdraw speech, and then began to read from a letter written to the Senate back then by the widow of the late Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., 
That's when Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell invoked Rule 19, the rule that says one senator may not impugn the integrity of another senator in these speeches, especially when the senator is speaking, uses epithets or obscenities. There were no epithets or obscenities in Coretta Scott King's letter, but it did accuse Sessions of using, quote, the awesome powers of his office to intimidate and frighten elderly black voters. Elizabeth Warren was shut down for trying to read that letter, rebuked, told to sit down, and to not speak for the rest of the debate. Now, with Mitch McConnell at the helm, the Senate voted to shut down Senator Warren using a vague and rarely used procedural rule. That also meant shutting down the widow of Dr. King. Quoting McConnell, she was warned. Nevertheless, she persisted. But other Democratic senators also persisted. They rose when it was their turn to speak and continued reading from Mrs. King's letter, in some cases just quoting, in others reading it aloud in full. That letter, by the way, is now finally in the congressional record, something that didn't happen when the Senate was run by a Democratic segregationist in 1986. And that, kids, is how Jeff Sessions got to be attorney general. A woman who's never been to public schools, never sent her children to public schools, never taught, and has advocated for alternatives to public schools, is now in charge of our public schools. Called out as incompetent and unqualified, Betsy DeVos is the new Secretary of Education. She wouldn't be if it hadn't been for the never-before-in-history tie-breaking vote by Vice President Mike Pence. The vote was 50-50. Even two Republicans had defected and joined all 46 Democrats and two independent senators to vote against DeVos's nomination. Senators Lisa Murkowski of Alaska and Susan Collins of Maine, both Republicans, said they were concerned about DeVos's qualifications, about her more than 100 conflicts of interest, and about the large number of their constituents who told them to vote no. The protest and calls and letters and town hall meetings are having an effect on lawmakers in both parties. The Democrats, having heard from their constituents, had stayed up all night in a talkathon, hoping to persuade just one more Republican to agree that DeVos is not the right person for education secretary. Whoever's vice president, though, has the tie-breaking vote, so Mike Pence arrived at the Senate, voted yes, and declared Betsy DeVos as our new education secretary. It doesn't usually work out when a nominee for labor secretary is discovered to have at one time employed an undocumented immigrant as, say, a housekeeper. Bill Clinton lost a nominee that way, as did George W. Bush. Now we've learned that Trump's nominee also hired an undocumented housekeeper, Fast food executive Andrew Puzder's confirmation hearings have been postponed until further notice as the Ethics Office investigates this and other Puzder business practices that have come under scrutiny. Nevertheless, a White House spokesman says Puzder's looking forward to being the next Secretary of Labor. It worked for Betsy DeVos. Also postponed indefinitely, the final confirmation vote on Scott Pruitt as the head of the EPA. Pruitt made a name for himself in Oklahoma, suing the EPA as attorney general of that oil state and his belief that humans do not cause climate change. A climate update, rays of sunshine and hope, thank goodness, and additional commentary from Bob Seska, and more after this. Don't stop me, even if you have heard this before. A couple of college students wanted the kind of stylish watches others were wearing, but like a lot of college kids, they were broke. Nothing that stylish with any quality was affordable. 
A little research taught them that quality and fashion don't have to be expensive if you cut out the middleman by selling direct to you online. So little by little, they too started their own company, a watch company, in much the same way we started this network. Even the name of their company's high fashion, MVMT for movement. People will ask you about your movement watch with its classic design, minimalist style, and quality construction. These are watches that would sell in a department store for four or five hundred bucks, but movement makes them yours starting at just 95 bucks with free shipping and free returns. That's why Movement is the world's fastest growing watch company, with over a half million sold in more than 160 countries around the world. And because you listen to this program, you get another 15% off that already amazing price. Just go to mvmtwatches.com slash realm. Be like us. Join the movement. mvmtwatches.com slash r-e-l-m. For many Americans, the issue remains jobs. There was good news about that since last we spoke. 227,000 new jobs were landed in January, more jobs than forecast. 46,000 people got retail jobs despite the layoffs at Sears and Macy's. 36,000 construction openings were filled despite the frigid January weather in most of the country. And unemployment ticked up from 4.7 to 4.8%, which is good news because it means more people who had given up looking for work are getting back into the hunt because they'd heard about these new jobs. For a new president promising many more new jobs, this then is the starting point. Wages, by the way, stayed the same, meaning more people are getting paychecks, but almost no employee is getting more money. It was also over this past week that our new president signed more executive orders, including one that lets Wall Street do what it did when it crashed the economy in 2008. Candidate Trump promised to stand up to Wall Street and even accused Hillary Clinton of being in Wall Street's pocket. Now that he has six former Goldman Sachs executives as cabinet members and other officials, he's giving back to Wall Street the freedom it abused as recently as 2008. Even Wall Street investors and executives cannot believe Trump willingly scrapped what's known as the fiduciary rule. Under Obama, to keep Wall Street from driving us into the ditch again, retirement investors were legally required to work, get this, in the best interest of their clients, not in their own best interests. That was one of the reforms. That radical concept has now been scrapped under a president who claims some of these reform rules are stifling Wall Street. Under Obama, banks considered too big to fail were required to prove they weren't likely to fail in regular health checkups. Under Trump, banks, forced to be transparent under Obama, can now put those health numbers back into hiding. All of those rules aimed at preventing another Great Recession were part of a law known as Dodd-Frank. Dodd-Frank is a disaster, said Trump, using one of his favorite words. We are, he said, going to be doing a big number on Dodd-Frank. And then he signed that executive order gutting the Dodd-Frank law just as he'd promised. Over in the Senate, meanwhile, the ruling Republicans voted to repeal the Dodd-Frank corruption rule that required oil companies to declare their royalties and other payments they got from the government. And in further pursuing the Republican deregulation and energy and environment agenda, they scrapped a rule that kept coal companies from dumping their mining waste into streams and rivers. What could possibly go wrong? Tension's been simmering in North Dakota where the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe is bracing itself for what's next. 
The new president had signed an executive order to forge ahead with the much-protested Dakota Access Pipeline that's been set to run along the northern border of the tribe's territory, crossing under a river relied upon by thousands for drinking water and farmland irrigation. The land may actually be in Standing Rock territory since the U.S. government did promise it to that tribe back in 1851 in what was known as the Treaty of Fort Laramie. But as with other promises made to Native Americans, the government in Washington then decided to take it back, and that dispute has never actually been settled. The Standing Rock Sioux Tribe sees itself as a protector of that clean water and possibly sacred burial grounds, something we won't know for sure until archaeologists check it out or until after the oil company digging has already started there. Other tribes have protested as well, since the pipeline would extend over 1,100 miles through several states. The tribe had asked the Obama administration for more time to study both the historical and environmental effects of that pipeline. But in his first days in office, Trump reversed all of that and ordered proceeding with the Dakota Pipeline and the equally controversial Keystone XL Pipeline that would span the central U.S. for nearly 1,400 miles. The Army Corps of Engineers ordered protesters to leave their site in North Dakota or be removed. And now the Army has given its go-ahead to the Dakota Access Pipeline and has handed over the necessary land. The construction company says construction began today. And since the new administration seems less likely to negotiate, the protests are likely to continue and escalate. Now, the tribe says it's planning to drag the government into court, and pipeline opponents are calling for demonstrations around the world. Meanwhile, back in Washington, the Republicans who run the Senate's Environmental Committee had to change the rules to move the nomination of oil champion Scott Pruitt onto the full Senate, where he's expected to be confirmed as our next EPA secretary. Democrats don't have the votes to stop the committee's recommendation, but they are resisting on behalf of their increasingly outspoken constituents. The protest and phone calls are working, jamming the phones of lawmakers in both parties from Americans of all ages eager to stop the Trump agenda where they can. During the campaign, Trump promised Israel solid support, but this week he stood up for one of Obama's positions and gave Israel a warning about building new settlements on the West Bank or even expanding the ones that are already there. Like Obama and other presidents before him, Trump said that more Israeli incursion into the West Bank will make peace more difficult. Palestinians want part of the West Bank for a homeland, which gets harder to manage as it's broken up by these Israeli settlements. During the campaign, Trump promised to go to unusual lengths to support Israel. Since Trump's inauguration, Israel has made several moves toward expanding existing settlements, including greenlighting the building of about 6,000 new homes. Trump meets with Israeli President Benjamin Netanyahu at the White House on the 15th of this month. On the plus side for Trump, going into that meeting are the new sanctions he's posed on Iran for test-firing a ballistic missile it says was not capable of carrying a nuclear warhead. Trump, who's unhappy with the Iran nuclear deal, says Iran violated a U.N. Security Council resolution in firing that test missile and that Iran has continued to sponsor terrorism, which is true. But that U.N. resolution only bans the testing of missiles that can carry nuclear warheads, so there apparently is no violation. The U.N. certainly hasn't said so. And Iran says it will answer Trump's new sanctions in kind. In the midst of all this talk of Muslims and travel bans and immigration and the rise in hate crimes, 
There was a ray of sunshine this week from New York City. It was a reminder of human kindness and of how most of us feel about this country and the people of all kinds who live here. It happened on the one line headed uptown. A young lawyer, 27-year-old Gregory Locke, got on at about 50th Street when he and other passengers noticed hateful graffiti had been sharpied onto every window, every door, every advertising banner. There were swastikas and Heil Hitlers along with Destroy Israel and Jews Belong in the Oven. New Yorkers have read their share of nasty graffiti, but this was too much. According to Greg, another guy in the subway car spoke up, saying, Hand sanitizer gets rid of Sharpie. And fellow passengers dug out their hand sanitizer bottles and tissues for wiping away the hate. More than a dozen swastikas cropped up in New York in the first 10 days of the Trump administration. Another ray of sunshine there as volunteers hiked to the top of a state park mountain in New York to remove racist and anti-Semitic graffiti that had been placed there. But in Chicago, there's video of a man smashing the front window of a synagogue and putting swastikas on the front door. In San Diego, the words Heil Trump were found on a University of California bus stop. In Houston, campus police also reported swastika vandalism. Trump himself has done nothing to quell these acts of hatred and, in fact, failed to mention the killing of millions of Jews in his Holocaust Remembrance Day statement. The White House says Hitler killed other people besides Jews and that the speech was written by a Jew. While Americans and their news media try to understand Donald Trump, the Republican Congress has been enacting an agenda it's pursued for years. High on that list was a rule that helped keep guns out of the hands of the mentally ill. The new rule required the Social Security Administration to report insurance payments for mental illness to the FBI, which handles the background checks on gun buyers. But an overwhelming majority of Republicans in the House believes keeping guns out of the hands of the mentally ill might be unconstitutional, arguing that the mentally ill are protected by the same Constitution as the rest of us. The House has now voted to remove that rule, which was enacted to protect the rest of us. It means 75,000 people can again buy guns, despite a warning from one congressman that, quote, these people are not just having a bad day, these are people with severe mental illness. As of now, the mentally ill can again buy guns. Let freedom ring. If it's any consolation, the Obama gun boom is over. Gun sales have reportedly dropped dramatically since Trump took office. It's not unusual for the taxpayers to cover the cost of moving the president's military officials to wherever the president is. What is unusual is when the president profits from that personally. Real estate magnate Donald Trump, still completely tied to his businesses, will profit if the Pentagon goes ahead with its plans to move the top military folk and the nuclear football into Trump Tower. The Pentagon says it is considering this. The space being considered goes for about $1.5 million per year. Security is already partly covered since Trump's 10-year-old son and wife Melania still live there as the boy finishes out the school year. The Trump Organization, as it's officially known, is reportedly being run exclusively by his sons Donald and Eric. But Trump himself still owns the business and will profit from it during and after his presidency. He's a respected author and part of the Realm Network and co-host of the Bob and Chez Show, also a talented blogger for Salon.com. So now, with one of his latest blogs, here's Bob Seska. Thank you, Buzz. 
Lost in the constant assault of mentally unstable blurts from President Trump, news from Japan could portend Trump's first major crisis as leader of the free world. It appears as if the Fukushima nuclear power plant is on the verge of releasing an unimaginable amount of radiation, more than at any point since the 2011 tsunami-induced meltdown there. The Guardian reports, The extraordinary radiation readings highlight the scale of the task confronting thousands of workers as pressure builds on TEPCO to begin decommissioning the plant, a process that is expected to take about four decades. The recent reading, described by some experts as quote-unquote unimaginable, is far higher than the previous record of 73 sieverts an hour in that part of the reactor. Currently, the radiation level inside the number two reactor has reached a breathtaking 530 sieverts an hour. Putting this number into perspective, quote, a single dose of 10 sieverts would prove fatal within weeks. At some point, the growing radiation inside the reactor could force Tokyo Electric Power to release some of that pressure. Officials also detected a one meter wide hole in the bottom of the reactor, likely created by the heat of the nuclear fuel. Now, there doesn't appear to be any immediate danger beyond the radioactive material that's already been dumped into the Pacific Ocean. But imagine if there was a major leak at Fukushima, or even a similar situation at perhaps one of our aging American nuclear power plants. Is there anyone confident enough in Trump's ability to handle such a situation without totally bungling it, or worse? He was already a monster, but since the inauguration, he's completely losing what was left of his mind. In the past week alone, Trump defended Vladimir Putin's lengthy roster of political assassinations by telling Fox News audiences that America is responsible for similar deaths. He attacked George W. Bush appointee Judge James Robart, the quote-unquote so-called federal judge who ruled against the president's Muslim ban, preemptively blaming Robart for any future terrorist attacks. He threatened to somehow defund California, the entire state. He also insisted that any polling data indicating that he's unpopular is clearly fake news. And we learned that Trump signed an executive order placing Steve Bannon on the National Security Council without actually reading the order first. Again, all of this news dropped over the last week or so, including a weekend in which Trump was technically supposed to be on vacation at Mar-a-Lago. It's difficult to imagine Trump dealing with any crisis, no matter how minor, in a way that doesn't make matters worse. We're talking about a president who exists on a different plane of existence than the rest of us. In his addled, twisted brain, mysterious enemies are out to skew his poll numbers and strip him of his non-existent mandate. He can barely read words on a page, and when he does, he doesn't believe any words that contradict the ridiculous notions ricocheting around his skull. Again, Trump thinks he can defund California. He thinks the press refuses to cover terrorism. He thinks he can just roll the military into the south side of Chicago. He thinks his Muslim ban is important to prevent another 9-11, Boston, Orlando, or San Bernardino, even though the terrorists in those attacks weren't from the nations covered in Trump's ban. He's out of his mind, and he's getting worse. The only thing we can hope for at this point is that he's removed from office, and before then, there's not a major crisis in which lives are at stake. I'm Bob Seska for Buzz Burbank News and Comment. Thanks, Bob. Catch him and his broadcast partner, Ches Pazienza, twice each week on the Bob and Ches Show here at RealmNetwork.com. Earlier, we heard about the Gallup polls on Trump. Since turnabout is fair play, Gallup also asked people about the news media. In an era of fake news and alternative facts, the numbers are mostly comforting to most of us. 
Gallup's question was whether we think the news media has been too rough on Trump, not rough enough, or just right. Nearly 6 in 10 of us said just right or not rough enough. 31% said just right. 28% said not rough enough. 36% said the media has been too rough, just shy of the same number of Americans who support Trump. The pushback against this administration's agenda by people more than politicians seems to be working. When Trump took office, his administration ordered the people who inspect our food and drugs to stop reporting to the taxpayers who employ them about the safety of those foods and drugs. His administration ordered silence as well from the people who protect our environment at the EPA and the Energy Department. Their findings, funded by taxpayers, would be kept from the taxpayers. There were similar gag orders across government. 2,000 scientists who work for you were told to shut up. One by one, thanks to pressure from an outraged public, government workers, and others, the new administration backed off every one of those orders. Backed off and backed down in the face of loud opposition. And none of these moves had been announced publicly. They were made quietly and might have remained that way if workers in those gagged agencies hadn't sounded the alarm. Same thing at the USDA, where under Trump, the agency took down its listing of inspected and approved cruelty-free puppy mills. Suddenly, pet stores in New York City and seven states had nowhere to turn to find out if the person selling them puppies was abusing the animals. It was not announced, this move, and no reason was given for it. And then people started to object to the hiding of this public information. The administration responded defensively at first, saying, anyone who wants the information can always file a Freedom of Information Act lawsuit to get it. Not quite as easy as going to a web page. The new USDA tried to pin the blame on the Obama administration officials, who were also offered the option to take down that helpful page. But those Obama officials say they passed on the option and chose to keep the animal cruelty avoidance page posted. And because we're talking about puppies, people objected loudly. Now, the USDA says its decision to remove that useful public information isn't a final decision. Speaking up and speaking out is paying off. Omar's movie preview, bizarre medical stories, and more in our third and final segment, up next. You may not like the pressure of finding the right thing for Valentine's Day. She might not have been thrilled with some of your clumsier attempts at romance. Here's how to look like the pro you really are, proflowers.com. You'll find some impressive arrangements there and some impressive deals. Case in point, right now, two dozen assorted roses with a free glass vase for just $29.99 plus shipping and handling. Also, at this convenient time, for just $9.99 more, you can get two dozen assorted long stems with a premium vase and some chocolate, of course. And when you go to proflowers.com, you can get these deals and support this free podcast. But you have to use the code REALM, R-E-L-M, and you'll need to hurry because these prices expire soon. You'll be on and off the site in two minutes, unless you get caught up in their amazing selection. With Pro Flowers, you set the delivery date, even on Valentine's Day, right to her home or office. I've used Pro Flowers, and they mean it when they say your order is guaranteed fresh for seven days or they'll replace or refund. I trust Pro Flowers to get it right. Be the pro you are. Proflowers.com with the code R-E-L-M. The Aetna Insurance Company is clearly more interested in politics, profit, and size than it is about anyone's health. 
Aetna says it's pulling out of the Affordable Care Act marketplace at the end of this year because it says it lost money on the program. That was the same reason the company gave for pulling out of 11 state marketplaces this year, and now it says it'll be completely out when the calendar flips to 2018. But privately, Aetna has given another reason for its walkout. It's still mad the government wouldn't let it merge with Humana so it could be one of the two biggest health insurance companies in the U.S. alongside United Healthcare. That company, United Health, has made huge profits as it continues providing marketplace policies. Obamacare has brought the company more than 2 million new customers in the past year, and United made over $7 billion in 2016, with business up a mind-blowing 54%. Profits may be up at Aetna as well, since the company's CEO said in April that Aetna was, quote, in a very good place to make this a sustainable program. But the company's attitude changed sharply after the Obama Justice Department blocked Aetna's plans to merge with Humana so it could be bigger and make more money. And there have been several bizarre medical stories this week. The first one, tragic. One Ohio man took his own life when he was told he had Alzheimer's. Another man started setting aside sleeping pills for the day that he might take his own life. Figuring he had maybe 10 years left at the age of 33, he taught his son how to check the oil in the family car and showed his wife how he'd been handling the family's finances. Other people who were told they had Alzheimer's by a clinic in Toledo quit their jobs, sold their homes and possessions, took that dream trip, and started checking things off their bucket lists. But none of them, including the man who did kill himself, actually had Alzheimer's they had been misdiagnosed by the Toledo Clinic Cognitive Center, which kept them coming back for treatments and sometimes overcharging for those treatments. That clinic was closed last year when it was discovered the doctor doing the misdiagnosing had neither a medical nor psychology license. And now more than 50 patients of that clinic, including the survivors mentioned here, are suing for over a million bucks apiece. Officials aren't saying whether there's also a criminal investigation. Life and death can be incredibly odd. Sincere condolences to the loved ones of 57-year-old Greg Meager, a county sheriff in Augusta, Georgia, who died this week in the line of duty after 33 years on the job. He was not shot as he had been 13 years ago. He died after inhaling liquid nitrogen that had escaped as a gas. Nitrogen isn't poisonous, but it can suffocate you when it pushes all the oxygen around you out of reach. And this is what happened in a closed environment that the late deputy bravely entered to rescue a female worker there who had also been nearly suffocated by the nitrogen. The liquid nitrogen had escaped inside a local sperm bank. Obesely fat is what 57-year-old Roger Logan has been for over a decade. Logan spent years of his life in a wheelchair, doctors telling him he's just fat. But the Minnesota man has found out he's not as fat as he or his doctors thought. Other doctors in California have just removed a tumor from Roger that is the size of a small human being. Removing that tumor has taken 130 pounds off Roger's weight. The tumor weighed 130. The surgeons say getting it out was easy, that there were no complications. They say the tumor was likely caused by an ingrown hair. 
But on this particular week, it gets even weirder. At first, she thought it was a head cold, this itching she felt. In Chennai, India, doctors thought the woman had some kind of growth in her nasal cavity. They sent her to a second hospital where the doctors there tried flushing her nasal cavity with salt water, and that didn't help. So the woman went to a third hospital at the government's medical college where they did a nasal endoscopy, which means they stuck a camera up there to see what was going on. They found something right between her eyes and very close to her brain. It was a cockroach. Quoting one doctor, it was alive and it didn't seem to want to come out. That's scary because if they'd left it there, the woman's brain could have gotten a deadly infection. After laboring 45 minutes with suction and forceps, doctors were able to remove the cockroach from inside her skull. Nurses, in case you hadn't heard, are mostly overworked and underpaid despite their dedication, despite their invaluable help to doctors, and despite the lives that they save. Nurses get burned out working those long hours. In Aurora, Colorado, a nurse named Yannick got burned out and turned in her two weeks' notice. Couldn't do it anymore. After her last day on the 17th of this month, she planned to get into the unemployment line so she could keep paying her bills. Well, now she can keep paying her bills, do some home improvements, and take her time looking for new work after winning a $3.3 million lottery jackpot. If there's one thing Republicans and Democrats agree on, it's apparently email privacy. As it stands, law enforcement can go through yours without a warrant, even if the email is from more than six months ago. But the House has now passed a bipartisan bill that would require a warrant for emails that old and older. There is a loophole for what's been described as an emergency situation. You know those big red balls outside the entrances of Target stores that are there as a security measure to keep vehicles, especially vehicles with bombs, from coming through those front doors? Well, the good news is those big red balls weigh two tons apiece, which would seem to make them pretty effective for security. The bad news is they may not be well anchored. And if they come loose and roll into you or your car, Target and its insurance company do not plan to compensate you for the damage. A pickup truck had accidentally bumped into one of the balls at a store in Paramus, New Jersey, just before Thanksgiving. Eileen Grady was driving her Nissan Rogue through the parking lot at the time and got broadsided by this two-ton ball. The damage to her car totals $3,500. She figured Target or its insurance company would cover that. They didn't. They aren't. They say they won't. Nobody got the license number on that pickup truck, and it doesn't show on the security video that captured the rest of the chaos. Target refused to tell Eileen whether they had even tried to track down the driver, even though an employee told Eileen he recognized the driver and that the driver had just made a credit card purchase, meaning Target had the man's name and a video of his truck. And Target's insurance company, Sedgwick, has denied Sheila's claim. For such a big company, this really is a small claim. Eileen's only recourse is taking to small claims court, a company increasingly known for its big balls. And now, here's this week's movie preview from Realm Network Arts and Entertainment Editor Omar Latiri, brought to you by Fandango. Opening this weekend, February 10th, 
2017. We have a United Kingdom, a limited release movie about the true story of the marriage between Prince Retse Kama from Botswana to a white woman from London named Ruth Williams. Facing opposition from both of their families and their governments, the two must face the challenges from the British Empire and apartheid to return home. Starring David Uyelowo and Rosamund Pike, a United Kingdom is rated PG-13. There's John Wick Chapter 2, the sequel to the surprise 2014 hit action movie John Wick. Keanu Reeves is back to shoot and punch his way through his return to the criminal underworld as John discovers a bounty put on his life. Ian McShane, Ruby Rose, and Matrix co-star Lawrence Fishburne also appear alongside Reeves. Rated R. Dakota Johnson and Jamie Dornan return for Fifty Shades Darker, the second book adapted to the screen in the Fifty Shades of Grey franchise. There's really not much to say about this movie except that Kim Basinger is appearing as the first lover of Christian Grey. We shall see if the Academy Award-winning actress will attract audience members despite the general lack of interest for this movie. Rated R. And finally, my pick for this week, the Lego Batman movie. A spin-off of the 2014 critically acclaimed box office smash The Lego Movie, this adventure will focus on Batman as he struggles to overcome his over-the-top darkness and open up to those closest to him. Will Arnett returns to voice the Cape Crusader, and this movie features voice talent from Zach Galifianakis, Michael Sarah, Rosario Dawson, and Rafe Fiennes. Rated PG. For Buzz Burbank News and Comment, I'm Omar Latiri. Thank you, Omar. For theaters and showtimes, previews, tickets, and so much more, and to support this free news, please use and bookmark the Fandango link you'll find at buzzburbank.com. And listen to Omar on his show, ARC, Arts Review and Commentary, right here at realmnetwork.com. You put the lime in the coconut, but what do you put in the limes? In Texas, customs officers working the docks on the Gulf of Mexico got suspicious about an incoming shipment of limes from Mexico, and they were onto something. As it turns out, some of the limes were actually small, round, green plastic bags filled with marijuana. And when I say some, I mean nearly 35,000, 34,764 fake limes to be exact. The weed disguised as limes was turned over to Homeland Security. And since hybrid cars don't use much gas, that makes the gas tank an inviting place to hide drugs. In California, Border Patrol stopped a hybrid car, a 2010 Ford Fusion Hybrid, and found 50 pounds of meth in the mostly unused gas tank. The meth, the man, and the car were turned over to the DEA. And there was maple syrup all over the highway in Newport, Vermont, where a truck lost a barrel of the sweet sap, which burst open and spilled onto exit 27 of Interstate 91. Drivers were encouraged to slow down driving through the syrup. And those are words you don't hear every day. Meeting in a motel room with a stranger you found on Tinder, what could possibly go wrong? At the Village Inn Motel in Springfield, Oregon, a local man eagerly met up with Lacey. He was not disappointed and just as eagerly obeyed her instructions to get into the room, leave the door unlocked, get naked, and start taking a shower and she'd join him. When he began to wrinkle from too much water, the man got out of the shower and discovered that his wallet, his cell phone, and his clothing were gone. And Lacey's Tinder profile had been deleted. Police rescued the man, gave him some good advice about hooking up with strangers in private places. And finally... Sometimes people watch the Super Bowl at a bar or someone else's house, and then they drive home. Not good. Police in Minnesota tweeted this year that anyone caught driving drunk after the Super Bowl would be forced to watch the game's T-Mobile commercial 
featuring Justin Bieber. It seems to have worked. I'm Buzz Burbank. Thank you for listening. And thanks for supporting the shows and sponsors at buzzburbank.com. I'll be back next Thursday with another Buzz Burbank news and comment. The preceding presentation was brought to you by The Realm Network.